This is Graceland Keller with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, and we are live at the Becker's Ortho, Spine, and ASC Conference. I'm sitting right now with Gary Hirschman, who's a partner at Epstein, Becker, and Green, and Dana Jacoby, who serves as president and chief executive officer at Vector Medical Group. So thank you both for joining me, and I'll have Dana start, and then Gary, please introduce yourselves. Thanks, Grace. It's great to be here. What an incredible conference. <laughs> Fun to see a lot of old friends. Um, I'm Dana Jacoby. I'm the founder and CEO of Vector Medical Group. And Vector Medical was really started after I had done medical market research all over the world. I brought some of the brand name products that we know now in healthcare to, uh, to the forefront and realized after doing that, I had the luxury of selling that business to a private equity company and realized how little I knew about the merger and acquisition process. And so so Vector was really stood up to help physicians architect their futures and really navigate what's now becoming an interesting merger and acquisition landscape. So, hi, uh, I'm Gary Hirschman. I'm a partner at the national healthcare firm Epstein, Becker & Green. Uh, we have 180 healthcare lawyers around the country, um, and I co-chair the Healthcare Transactions Group, and it really is a pleasure to be here. I'm working on a lot of deals with, uh, you know, advising orthopedic, pain, spine, neurosurgery groups, and ASCs on exciting transactions and partnerships for their future. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for taking the time to join me. And let's start our conversation off with why are so many groups transacting right now? Yeah, I'll start, Grace. You know, it is a really interesting change. We actually talked about this on a panel this morning. Um, you have this really interesting, just just kind of uh, kind of crossroads right now, where physicians uh, are looking for their what they want to be, you know, in their future. You have a lot of consolidation happening across the market. We were talking this morning about the big five or the big seven being Amazon, Optum, Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, Dollar General coming into the Medicare Advantage space and buying up primary care groups. And our doctors after COVID are really looking for what their options are moving forward. The average physician in the United States is over the age of 55. Um, COVID, for obvious reasons, gave them a little bit of pause on what their future looked like. And private equity and others have a lot of capital to spend and see the value of investing in healthcare. So a very interesting crossroads and a lot of change. And Gary, what are your thoughts? So I, I I agree with with what Dana said wholeheartedly. I I just think if you had to pick one thing that's really driving these these transactions and partnerships, you know it's it's the headwinds. Um, it's lower reimbursement, um, higher costs, physicians making less money, and on top of that, heightened competition from uh, the hospital systems in in their in their towns. Um, and the Optums and Village MDs and, you know, all those big five who are coming into primary care and also they're adding specialists. So it, it's really causing a lot of the specialty physicians to wake up and, 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 and say, you know, how do I um, strategically plan for, you know, improving our situation instead of seeing it continue to worsen over the next three to five years? Absolutely. And Gary, I'll start with you for this next one. Um, so when these transactions happen, does anything change clinically or day to day? Okay. So the answer is 1000% nothing changes clinically. In fact, when I represent, you know, medical groups and ASCs, um, uh, all of the contracts that we work on 
It's 100% clear that all clinical decisions, patient care decisions are 100% in uh, the discretion of the doctors, each doctor treating a patient, the clinical policies and procedures of the practice. Um, so nothing changes with regard to anything clinical related. Also, nothing changes with regard to past practice. Their vacation doesn't get reduced. Um, their health benefits plans doesn't get worse. Um, they don't have to take more on-call coverage. Um, they don't have to work harder. They, the, the investors that are partners with the groups are just looking to come in and want them to continue to do the same thing and help them help them do better without changing any of that. But the day-to-day -day decisions, which I'll, I'll let Dana address, does, you know, the day-to-day -day when it comes to operational and administrative. You want to address that, Dana? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a good question. And Gary, uh, Gary mentioned this, Grace, but really there's, there's no desire for a private equity firm to practice clinical medicine. They want to capitalize the growth of clinical medicine. And so there's usually a clinical advisory board that's set up within the platforms to talk about the day-to-day -day made up solely of physicians. And so, you know, Gary mentioned this, but it really isn't about coming in and telling you what sutures to use or what implants to use. It's more about capitalizing that future growth clinically. And they want doctors at the helm of the ship. We're all aware that without physicians leading the charge, it's part of the problem with some of the other things happening in healthcare, you just miss something. And so the private equity firms and financial firms are very aware that that's something they are capitalizing rather than controlling. But they do, but they do jump in and provide a very strong management team to do hiring of staff where doctors are having problems hiring technicians and nurses and uh, the HR function, the IT function, managed care contracting, all of that you know, is turned over to a sophisticated team that do that for a much larger group of doctors in the same specialties. Absolutely. So another scenario here then, um, what if I am a in a hospital PSA or am a hospital employee? Yeah, it's interesting, Grace, that if had you asked us this 16 or 18 months ago, that wasn't something we were seeing a lot of. A lot of hospital or PSA owned folks were not interested or weren't looking, I should say, for these types of endeavors. Now, honestly, our our deal flow makeup or our, our doctor makeup that we're dealing with is about 50-50. We have never had so many calls from hospital uh, physicians or physicians that are in a PSA that I think are seeing their peers at conferences like this one and talking at the water cooler about the opportunity to maybe partner with a private equity. But also during COVID, a lot of our hospital brethren got tired and the hospital situation got a little bit more stressful from a financial standpoint. So I think we're seeing a lot more specialists really starting to exercise. And I didn't realize Gary and I have had three or four that we've literally just recent recently exited. And we're getting very good about having these conversations about the hospital PSA, what the doctor's options are. And sometimes we're seeing joint ventures between hospital, private equity, and doctor group, which is a totally, and I mean, just completely different than what we even saw two years ago. So it's definitely a changing landscape. Yeah, and, 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 and two, three years ago, the doctors who were stuck in these PSAs and, and hospital employment kind of felt left out. It kind of felt like, geez, you know, look at all of our, you know, our our colleagues in independent practices entering into lucrative transactions, maintaining their clinical independence. And here we are stuck, you know, with the hospital and, you know, not all hospitals, but I, I just feel like the physicians that call me, most of them are not happy 
in their in their arrangements with hospitals. Um, they're not happy being employed, and the hospital doesn't pay a lot of attention to them. And and so, the fact that some private equity firms uh, that have platforms um, in 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 different physician specialties started, uh, you know, give them credit, started to reach out to those groups. And I think that now it's gonna it's gonna it's really you're going to see it all over the place. It's going to become much more prevalent uh, that uh, doctors are exiting and being able to participate in what can be very lucrative transactions and that could get them out of this kind of forever being employed or PSA'd with a hospital. And my final question for you both as we wrap our conversation is how are groups valued and how are deals structured in this space? Um, you know, so we just we actually just talked about this this morning, Grace. There, there's kind of two major themes when a when a private equity firm or a firm goes out and looks at doctors groups. One is they're looking for an initial platform investment. So they're looking for a group that has clinically relevant or clinically educated physicians that are very, very good at what they do. They're looking also, though, for a strong administrative C-suite. They're looking for systems that can scale. And those are groups that usually get a strong multiple of EBITDA or a multiple of revenue in their overall valuation um, for smaller groups or bolt-on groups that may not have that level of sophistication, that may be a lower multiple on EBITDA or revenue. You know, for we get asked all the time, and it's so hard to go on record, but for the larger platforms, you might see double digits of a multiple on EBITDA. On the smaller plat or the smaller uh, add-ons, you might see single, but it really is a variety of the maturation of the group, the sophistication of the doctors as important and a lot of clinical leaders don't don't necessarily know this until they're in it the sophistication of the overall leadership team so do they have a c suite do they have systems that can scale do they have the ability to go to other less mature or less sophisticated groups and bring them in culturally and so that that creates better valuation i always joke things you would do to run and scale your business effectively anyway are going to create a better valuation so it's just doing the right thing but for physicians sometimes it's hard to make the case of investing further because you're just, you know, you're personally guaranteeing everything or you have to dip into your own paycheck. So it's hard to see that scalability and how to invest strongly when you're paying it out of your pocket. Yeah. So just to Grace, it may be helpful for your listeners just to give an example, like a drill down of an example. So say you have, you have 10 doctors in a group, uh, uh, orthopedic or, or any other specialty group, and they're each making a million dollars. A lot of groups don't split equal, they base it on productivity, but just for the uh, simplicity of an example, so you have 10 doctors making a million dollars a year, generally the EBITDA is created by taking a normalization, um, like 30% hypothetically, It's it could be different numbers, but a 30% normalization of a group making $10 million in shareholder compensation, and you only look at the shareholders, not the associates, because the shareholders, part of that comp is them profiting on ancillaries and associates. But assuming they're making a million each, so that if you took a, a 30% uh, normalization, it creates 3 million in EBITDA. And then the multiple that Dana was talking about would be off of that EBITDA. So if you had an eight multiple, you know, it probably is anywhere six to nine for smaller groups um, and nine to 12 plus for larger groups uh, in terms of the multiple. But in this case, if you took uh, an eight multiple times the 3 million, it's it's $24 million. And, you know, usually anywhere from 
20 to 40% is rollover equity. So they remain partnered uh, and aligned with the platform and its growth moving forward. And the other 60%, um, you know, or 70% is in cash at the closing tax advantage. So that's kind of a little bit, you know, gives you a little bit more on structure. It's easier to see with an example, maybe. Absolutely. Well, Dana and Gary, thank you so much for joining me today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. And a special thank you to Vector Medical Group, who sponsored this episode. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Grace. Thanks, Grace. Appreciate it.